0: hey guys what's going on this is mike west you're listening to into the van and i can't thank you enough for tuning in this has really been a point of solace and a point of motivation and inspiration for me to keep doing this podcast through the pandemic so i really appreciate you listening if you have been enjoying into the van please go leave a reviewer wherever you are listening to this podcast Let me know what you think of it. Drop me an email, drop me a message on social media or anything. Just let me know that you're listening because, you know, we are 29 episodes deep into this podcast and I want to hear from you guys. If you are enjoying it, please tell me. If you aren't enjoying it, drop me an email and we can see what that is about. But I'm really fucking proud of this podcast and I hope it's getting you through, you know, an hour every two weeks of something interesting to listen to. I've been super busy with Into the Van lately and we've got a ton of episodes racked up. I'm just gonna let you know who we've got coming up in the next few months because that's how far ahead I am now. We've got Roseanne Reed on today's episode, then we have Catherine the Great, hardcore country band Silo, then we've got Small Town Monsters, that was Adrian and Seth Breedlove, who are, you know, the director and producer of this documentary crew that just do these really amazing in-depth documentaries on Big Four to Mothman UFOs. And that was a really interesting talk. After that, we've got James Reed, we've got Alice and Self, and then we even have the hippies and cowboy podcast themselves stopping by to have a chat about podcasts and so much more. I'm really fucking proud of the people who have agreed to do this, and I can't thank them enough for sparing their time. You know, this isn't paid for. I'm not offering anything other than an ear to like chat. And people have been so generous with their time and. You know, knowledge and experience to come onto this podcast and talk and i really hope you've enjoyed it i've really been enjoying listening to a different bunch of podcasts like hippies and cowboys obviously distraction pieces stuff like that i've been really enjoying because going into my music and listening to bands like silo and james reed and finding all these artists that are just incredible and then i even when i'm lucky enough to get to chat to them it's just a bonus so this episode is of course brought to you by me and the next life and i've got merch and i've got mugs and i've got a ton of stuff that if you like this podcast and you like my music please head over to mike333west.com pick up a shirt pick up a mug pick up a record and just keep on supporting me because without you guys i'm just talking into the void i'm gonna drop a little teaser of the next life here And I really hope you enjoy that. Head over to Mike333West.com if you want to pick up a record, a CD, we've got vinyl, we've got shirts, mugs, tote bags, Ouija boards, you name it. I'm going full kiss on this and just creating a merchandising empire. So if you were digging this podcast, you were digging my music, head over and pick something up. Without further ado, this is someone I've been really excited to talk to for a while. Roseanne Reid is, in my opinion, one of the best UK songwriters I'm one of the best songwriters around right now. And if you aren't listening to her, you're missing out. I've heard from her for a while. And then I've just kind of been like, who do I want to speak to on this podcast? And Roseanne's name popped into my head. And I was like, of course, shot her an email. And she got back to me so quick that in between sending the email and actually recording the podcast, it was like, I sent it at night. In the morning, we did the podcast. It was that quick. And it shows how passionate and caring Roseanne is and how willing she is to, you know, talk about her music and you know make time for people so this was a really fun chat if she's again she's a phenomenal songwriter if she's been to songwriting camps with steve ale we get into that we get into her ep horticulture which is out in april so that will be out now go check it out go listen to her album trails it's fucking phenomenal so yeah this is a really fun talk i hope you really enjoy it so without further ado this is episode 29 of into the Van with mike west and Roseanne reed Welcome to Into the Van with me, Mike West. Thanks so much for joining us, but just, we talked about binge-watching and stuff. Were you ever, like, did you ever binge-watch? Because I know I was, like, super addicted to TV before I started doing, like, the music thing, like, as much and as full as I could, and it was at that point where I dropped every single thing, and I, like, walked out of, like, every TV show, like, mid-season, mid-episode, I'd be like, I'm done. <laughs> and I've not watched anything really since and this has been the only time in like the last five years that I've actually binge watched stuff. Have you ever had that habit of binge watching things or it's always just been?
1: Yeah I, I mean not not particularly I I have to say I've got very I've got a very short attention span for one thing <laughs> so that doesn't sort of sit well for binge watching and also I, I think I'm pretty fussy in in the shows I commit to um, so stuff like you know, because there's a lot of stuff I I struggle with when watching TV, like particularly violent or gruesome mm. shows. I really I can't handle them. Um, if there's any sort of mildly sinister element to it, that that makes me quite uncomfortable <laughs> as well. So it's, you know, I, I like nice stuff. I like comedies like The Big Bang Theory, mm. stuff that's really cleverly done. Um, you know that, it, but in terms of uh, frequently binge watching shows no it's not something I've done up until the pandemic hit
0: (laughs) yeah yeah the pandemic it was just like a whole new thing of just everything's wide open but um it's been a crazy time like with kind of the announcements that have come out lately have you started focusing on your future plans for touring and stuff because it seems that kind of everyone's starting to send emails and scrabble around to see what they can do for the like I think everything opens in June is it
1: yeah, that's right. I, th- I think it's it's a tricky one because we've had a few false starts already, haven't yeah. we? And we're we're just kind of like, well, maybe tentatively approach the the possibility of touring again. Um, in terms of of actual tours, I still think for me anyway, it's going to be next year before mm. before I really get on the road again. But um, I, I think socially distant shows might be. Uh, might be quite popular and have a good chance of actually happening this year. So mm. um, that's kind of what I'm focused on. And, and like you say, there's been it's just been sort of a, a an upsurge in activity in terms of you know people approaching me going well what about this what about this? Um, but it is for now anyway. It's on the smaller scale um, and it's for as I say it's for it's for one-off shows where mm. the audience can be can be at a distance. So. Um, yeah for now for now i think i'll i think i'll just get excited about that maybe not tuned just yet but <laughs> yeah Un-
0: until like i think for me because i'm like obviously you know this government i don't trust in any way shape or form yeah. so i think it'll be like june 20th at eleven fifty nine p.m i'll be like Oh, maybe it is going ahead. (laughs) But Until that point, I'll start sending emails at like 11.58 if I'm feeling optimistic that day. But it's a weird (laughs) one because like I'm meant to be doing a festival in July. Yeah. And Yesterday it was like, it's on. And tickets started flying out and like all the early bird stuff and went. And I was like, I was like, oh shit, that's still going on. And I'm playing the fucking thing. I was like, oh, (laughs) awesome. That's actually happening. And again, it's still, I just... I just don't want to commit. It's like I've been half, like I've trusted and been half broken enough times to be like, oh, he's going to do totally me wrong. Understand.
1: Yeah, I totally understand. And it's like that. It's, 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 yeah, it's as you say, it's the rug's been pulled under uh, at the last minute so many times now. And it's just sort of like, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I think, like you say, until, um, until we're approaching the, the, the sort of eve of the deadline, yeah. um, I just, I wouldn't get my hopes up too high <laughs> but it's a nice thought uh, you know, I think, I, I mean festivals are an interesting one because you know, in terms of being socially distanced it's a lot easier yeah. in that in that sense for them so um, and with the better weather as well I think people are more inclined to, to want to go so um, yeah, I, I think festivals might, you know, might actually have a, might have a chance this summer um, but Uh, yeah tours i'm
0: not so sure not Mm. so sure jc yeah but what has kind of been your experience of touring the uk because how long have you been performing like as roseanne reed for and doing this is it from 2014 2015
1: yeah it's it's been from around that time i've been doing it for about um uh yeah the best part of sort of seven years um sort of fully committing to um prior to sort of 2015 2014 it was it was sort of just local shows it was open mm. mic nights you know but um but it picked up from there so it's i mean i think i've experienced a very sort of organic process mm. in terms of touring and that I, I started off very very small and I, you know i worked the sort of open mic circuit folk club circuit and sort of edinburgh glasgow for um uh, uh, you know, a good couple of years, two or three years um, before things start sort of going up a notch. Mm. Um, and I, uh, I actually can't remember what my first sort of UK tour was. I, I can't, I can't remember. I think it was about two thousand and maybe sixteen, maybe mm. seventeen. Um, but as I say, up until that point, I had I'd mainly just done shows in Scotland. It was it was on a fairly local level. So um it, it's it's a shame in that respect because last year was was due to be incredibly busy for me in terms of touring you know it was I had two UK tours in the pipeline a European one uh and Glastonbury as well
0: really. it,
1: yeah and it just all obviously all pulled so mm-hmm. um i yeah I'd, i think last year would have given me a much clearer picture in terms of being on the roads regularly mm-hmm. um But uh, yeah, as I say, up until that, it'd been the odd UK tour, but a a lot of local stuff as well.
0: And were they tours that you booked yourself? Because I've only really toured the UK properly once. And that was Mm -hmm. all just done through like me just emailing venues and things. Like your first tours, was that the same kind of thing?
1: It it was to an extent, but I, I can't lie, I'm not... I'm not logistically smart at all, and I, you know, that that sort of thing I've always struggled with. So I think I was quite lucky in that. Um, people like uh, Paul Fenn came on board quite er- quite early for me, um, and he he helped me out in terms of um, making connections with people like Teddy Thompson and get me on the road with him. And Terry ended up producing my first album. So um, he, that that kind of I did get in touch with a few end venues, but again, it was mainly a sort of local thing. It was never a you know i'll I'll be on the road in the uk for for three weeks and you know hit this that and the next thing um I think I could do that now i'm now I'm married to someone who really does that sort of
0: thing very yeah. well. <laughs> but before that, no, there was no chance. <laughs> oh, cool. I'm with Teddy Thompson I think I saw are you doing tours in 2022 with him in the year, like January February?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah, so that's I mean that's um, the dates as it stands is sort of late January, early February. I'll be tor- on the road with Teddy, um, and that uh, yeah, that's that's sort of the, the, the UK dates. Um, it's been it's been arra- rearranged a couple of times now, so I'm I'm hopeful for for next year. It should go ahead by then, but um, yeah, January February time. That's the plan at the minute.
0: Yeah, hopefully I I think that's kind of a good thing because i remember like when everything got cancelled in march last year people were starting to book stuff like august i was like yeah
1: yeah really
0: no (laughs) (laughs) chance but um like obviously you had all this booked for last year because in 2019 you brought out the trials album yeah what was kind of your process behind the songwriting for that like what was kind of your oldest song that you'd had written for that record
1: um well I mean it was just it was a collection of songs that I'd sort of uh, written and accumulated over um the best part of the best part of 8 years actually it'd been quite a long process because it was just it was just the stuff I'd been writing since I started writing mm. uh, that had then you know the opportunity had, had come up for it to actually be recorded and go on an album so um I I think oh goodness I'm thinking in terms of the oldest song um, from from Trails, I think it was Miles Away, which is I think the last one in the album, even at the second last one. I, that's terrible. I don't really know, <laughs> 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 but that was um, I think that was the oldest one. But the rest of them were written, I'd say, closer to maybe four or five years together. Um, and yeah, it was you know I. it it was it was an interesting thing to record as i say because you know a lot of those songs felt quite old to me at that point Mm. because i'd had them for for quite a while um so to go into the studio and just get an entirely new perspective put on a lot of them Mm. uh was was incredible and that's that's where i think teddy was just you know pivotal in Mm. in in that album um Cause I, I couldn't. You get to the point where you can't really reimagine your songs as anything other than they are. You know, mm. um, so I think that's where Teddy was was crucial.
0: Cool. And um, like with kind of producers, like I've never worked with them. What did he kind of give you an insight into? Was it like the instrumental, an arrangement kind of thing? What was it that kind of like pushed that new perspective?
1: Mm. It was well. I mean, it was a variety of things. I think I think arrangement was. One part of it, but just in terms of actually having a number of, of uh, musicians as well, was um, you know something he, you know, a group he carefully sort of picked out um, for that album. But uh, I think he was very aware that these songs had just spent their lives as purely acoustic songs, mm-hmm. you know, there'd never been anything else on them. Um, So he sort of opened my eyes to the the possibilities of, you know, a a lovely musical uh, bridge, you know, Mm. uh, where I just, if I was doing a live show, it would just be maybe I'd have a harmonica. (laughs) That would be the extent of it, you know. Um, So he, I I think in terms of just branching out um, musically, uh, that's where Teddy really sort of helped helped me to, to push it along, you know.
0: cool because i know you have that kind of like organ under a few of the tracks that's just i just love that sound on like acoustic albums where it just it gives you that richness and like a bounce to it and i just like i've been listening to your record and it's just phenomenal like the production of it and the instrumentation on it but with kind of obviously these being acoustic songs did you have an idea of what you wanted in terms of instruments on it or like arrangements or even like melody lines on the like edition?
1: Not really, not really. In all honesty, I had um, a very, very vague idea for a couple of the songs, um, but if 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 you'd you know if you'd let me hear the songs, um, you know, as they as they turned out um, before I went into the studio, I wouldn't have believed you just because it was so far removed from anything I'd imagined for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know, I love her so is a perfect example that. That was written as a sort of introspective acoustic number, a uh, little love song, and it just turned into a sort of um, almost like a Motown sound on the album that had the horns on it. You know, it mm. just, and that sort of, that's the sort of difference um, I think having a, a producer like Teddy makes. Um, because I think if it, if it were left up to me, the album would have been a lot more sort of bare boned. Mm. Um, which is not a bad thing it's you know it's it's how I love to play them um but i think it's it's fun to it's fun to have them evolve into something else for an album
0: yeah i think especially for albums and stuff like i've done it like all mine's got like extra instrumentation where it's like you want the songs like if you want to see the songs in its purest form like almost yeah. simplest form for a like less redundant word it's like come see me live and i'll be performing it acoustically if you want like this whole other experience that like i think an album deserves where it's like you want to be able to put it on speakers and focus on it this is for you and it's like they kind of live in the same area but it's a venn diagram of where they actually fall and what the listener gets out of it. it's a really interesting thing and what i really enjoyed about yours was it does have that songwriter like country folk vibe Mm. to it but it's got this kind of not a modern arrangement but it's got that organ under it it's got like a production volume that is really just polished and smooth and it's a fucking brilliant debut album like it's an incredible record like (laughs) like it is awesome (laughs) but you recorded it in Brooklyn and stuff how did that come about to be you know get to that place to record it over there
1: yeah well I mean it was um I I basically had I, I had you know um discussed it with Teddy uh, for a few months prior to actually getting over there and mm, recording. How,
0: how did you meet it, Teddy? Well I
1: I supported him on his a, a few of his Scottish dates and his UK tour in about I, th- I think it was 2015 uh, maybe 2014 actually mm. um, so we'd, we'd met on tour and he'd sort of he'd heard the songs and after the last the last show of the tour in Aberdeen he'd, he'd come up to me and he said you know if you're if you're going to do an album that I'd like to be involved so um, it just kinda of went from there and he had also produced um, a Dory Freeman's record uh, a, a little bit earlier um, which is a superb album as well and I think they've, they've done a couple other things together and he mentioned that what she did was raise the money to record through a Kickstarter mm. um, so just start a crowdfunding campaign um, and so that, that's the sort of route I went down to get the funds together. Um, and we, we talked about locations for recording. I said, well, I, you know, I, I'm not really that fussed. If there's, if there's a place you think um, it, would, it would sound best, it would work best, then I'm happy to kind of follow your lead there. And, and he said, well, you know, I'm based over in Brooklyn. I know the best musicians out here and it would, it would make sense for you to come over for a week um, mm. and we just do it. So that's that's kind of how it went. And I was over there for, I think, it was about five days. It was under a week. It was a very, mm. it was a quickly recorded album, actually. Um, but that's sort of how it, that's that's how it came about, is he just sort of, he pulled the musicians together. He got the studio sorted mm. uh, and I just made my way over there for five days and, and we, we, we got it done fairly quickly.
0: That's awesome. Did you send demos and like rough tracks ahead of time for musicians to listen to first? Yeah.
1: Yeah, so I just I I didn't have any recording gear at that time at home, so I just recorded all the songs I thought I wanted on the album on the on on my phone, mm-hmm. um, and just sent them across to him. And I know he sort of he circulated them amongst the guys, um, mm-hmm. to listen to in advance. And I think that you know it's extremely helpful for them. I can imagine because they can work out arrangements, um, and what they want to do for the song in in mm-hmm. advance of getting into the studio. So.
0: Awesome. And did any tracks get cut from the album that you didn't feel were necessarily right to put on or did everything you send across get on to yeah, trials? It
1: all, I mean, it all, it all got on. Um, we were, the the one song we were, I was considering cutting at one point was uh, Hey River. Um, mm. Just because we, I, I had hardly performed it live for one thing. So I wasn't, I perhaps wasn't that comfortable with it myself. Mm. Um but we we found the actual um arranging of that in the studio quite difficult and that took us a few takes mm. to get it right and to get the the atmosphere right. Um, so that was that was one that almost almost didn't make it, but we just sort of we persevered with it. But um yeah, I think all, all the songs I sent across made it made it onto the album.
0: Oh awesome. And like with your songwriting, because you have such like a nuance to the way you do things like i like this isn't me just complimenting you for the entire podcast but i really yeah. enjoy your songwriting like it's got for me when i've been listening to it, it's it got kind of like the soul and the reflectiveness of like van Zant, but it's got that like joy and like undertones that prine always had in his writing
1: oh i'll take that <laughs>
0: <laughs> but with like your songwriting stuff what was the first song that really you felt captured either, like, the perspective that you had at the time or really captured, like, your voice that you were, like, going forward. It's like, this is
1: the software I want to be. Right, yeah. I, I think it's definitely Amy for me. I mm. think that was the... I, I wrote that about... Um, oh, God. That must have been about eight years ago now, nine years ago. Um, and, I you know, I'd, I wrote it fairly quickly. I think I got the whole thing in about half an hour. Um, and I just thought... I'd, you, You'll know yourself, You, when you get something good, you know, yeah. the gut feeling straight away, you go, yeah, this is, you know, this is quite special. Um, and I, I rarely get that with my songs, but I got it immediately with Amy. And I mm. think, as you say, that was, I think that was the one that sort of set the bar in terms of, um, this is what I want to, um, not recreate, but this is what I want to,
0: build one moving forward and was that the reason that's like track one on the record
1: yeah yeah just because it's i I think i think lyrically it's probably the strongest song on there um Mm. but in in terms of um the arrangement as well it's quite it's a very simple arrangement for that one um and i just thought that's quite a uh, it's quite it's actually quite a statement to start it off with that um because you know i think a lot of the other songs on there have more to them in terms of instrumentation and arrangement and production Mm. um but it's for me it's it's the best song so it was it was a no-brainer you know
0: (laughs) cool and like with amy i think i read was that the song you performed at an open mic night in the songwriting camp
1: yeah Yeah. i wanted to talk
0: about like these songwriting camps just like kind of explain like what they are in general and how you got involved and what made you want to like make the jump to go to one
1: yeah, so it was. Um, I I got involved with Steve Earle's songwriting camp, uh, camp Copperhead in 2014, 2015. Um, and I I purely got involved with it because I I admired Steve so much, and I'd you know I'd listened to his I'd listened to Copperhead Road since I was about nine, um, so I I thought well that's you know at that point I I was I was certain that songwriting was something i wanted to dedicate a lot of my life to um and i thought well this is someone i can really learn from you know Mm. if i'm going to be immersed in his his classes um for three or four days that's that's a huge opportunity so um that's that's sort of how i got involved with with camp copperhead and you know in terms of um going over there it was like i'd never been to america at that point so it was um my family like well that's your 18th birthday present you know nice. <laughs> they be over there for a few days and um, and you can go to this camp so um yeah it was a pretty it was it was kind of um by chance I came across it you know I'd kind of I googled what was going on with Steve and that he didn't he announced the camp a few days earlier so um, that's sort of where it got started with with the songwriting camps
0: mm. cool I'm like was that open mic a different like? Because obviously you've done the focusing and the open mics yeah. and stuff. Was that I can imagine that being more nerve wracking an experience as like oh, an eighteen yeah. year old songwriter <laughs> to get up and perform a song in front of Steve Allen, like a, yeah. like not not just like a camp or a gig. It's a songwriting gig. Exactly, exactly. So you're
1: you're surrounded by your peers basically, and you're. <laughs> You're surrounded by I think we had over we had over a hundred people at camp that first year. It was mm. very well attended. Um and you know, as you say, you're surrounded by not only Steve Earle, but a lot of people who who know what they're doing and they know what they're talking about. Mm. And they know um they know a great song. So it was yeah, incredibly nerve wracking. And I didn't I almost didn't do it because I waited until the last the last night of the camp. Mm. Um and I, I'd struggled up until that point because I kind of, you know, I, I was away from home uh, and I, you know, I was, I was pretty homesick and I kind of, I hadn't exactly thrown myself into the camp in, in terms of meeting people. Mm. Um, so I felt, I was quite isolated at that point, but I met a, a, a great Irish songwriter there called Gor, Gordon Barry. Um, and he, I, you know, we were just kind of sitting on the porch one night, we're having a drink and I said, well, okay, how about I play this song? Can you can see what you think um and i played him and he said listen you just sign up and just do it you know just <laughs> do it at the open mic tomorrow um and that was sort of that was a push i needed but uh, yeah almost almost chickened out it's
0: <laughs> <That's> crazy <laughs> it, but it's weird how like those chance things or those split decisions can impact in such a way to be like well i wasn't actually like gonna do it and it's yeah it's yeah. one of those weird just encounters i think that you know from your career from there to now is like an incredible thing obviously it's the first track on the record to think you were like nervous about performing that but it is I think the condition in the songwriting thing because obviously you've been praised for your songwriting and stuff do you Mm. always like for me whenever anyone mentions my songwriting I always take that as like a higher compliment than you know anything else they can really say about the record to sure to hone down on to be like called like a, a songwriter or even a good songwriter is just like for me it's just like the ultimate prize
1: yeah for sure I, I totally agree and it's you know it's the same for me in that I, I sort of i prioritize it above everything else you know there's um there's the there's all the other things that come along with this job so there's there's touring there's um there's recording there's you know th- there's lots of stuff involved to it there's you know improving your voice improving mm. your stage presence whatever but um i i I think I've just always had it in my head that as long as you have that foundation Mm. of a great and, you know, a really good strong catalog of songs, um, you'll be okay. And you can kind of, you can find opportunities from there. Um, so that, that, yeah, I totally agree when someone, when someone really hones in on the songwriting aspect, that's the biggest compliment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And do you have an approach for your songwriting in terms of, you know, this needs to be hit or you have like influences that you pull off like regularly like what's kind of your approach going into you know Amy or even like Ten Sky like your new song they've just yeah. released do you have like a specific approach or even just a specific like mindset that you go into for songwriting?
1: Um, not particularly I, I sort of I, I like to I like to sit down uh, I, I like to have uh, you know the physical things like a pad of pen and paper mm. and I like to be ready um, but it doesn't always happen actually I'd say most of the time it doesn't happen for me, you know, it's just sort of in terms of the songs that have stuck in terms of the songs that I've actually recorded and play live um, it's a lot of them have, you know, they've been an initial idea I've had uh, in in Tesco and I've sort of I yeah, I've sung it into the phone mm. and I've <laughs> just got that little extract to work from um, but there's not, I don't I try and get my head in the zone, like I try and listen to songwriters I really love in advance of sitting down and trying to do it myself. Mm. Um, but I also think there's, there's a danger to that and yeah. that you can, you know, you can maybe take too much from someone else's songs. Um, so I yeah, I deliberately haven't I deliberately haven't sort of solidified a, a process, if yeah. you like. just sort of I have faith that inspiration will come um not always when i want it not always when i need it but it will come eventually um and when it does as i say i, th- I think i found having you know a little recording device on the phone the most useful thing because you can yeah. just you can you can get it down and then come back to it later
0: yeah it's such an important thing like i have a recorded but i was going through like i'm looking at album number two now to like play and i was like i really want to do this song and then i was like how the fuck do i play this song and I went on to like, I'd, <laughs> I'd put up a version on youtube so I like played it back and was like oh that's how it goes yeah <laughs> or, who are you kind of spinning as you're trying to get into like songwriting like who are your songwriting influences?
1: well I mean I've I've definitely drawn most inspiration from guys like Times Van mm. um, Steve Earle's been a, a big one, Bruce Springsteen and you know th- those again just those people that have this huge catalog of great songs and mm. you just kind of go but you know that's maybe that's maybe that's a certain genre but then you've got guys like um Paul McCartney and you know Brian Wilson from the Beatles and mm. you know Dolly Parton as well that just it's it's people that are um prolific and uh, unique um, and that just can say what they're feeling perfectly yeah. it's not you know there's no um there's no dragging it out there's, they they just get the great lines into one song um so i think i think it's i'm definitely attracted to great songwriters first and mm. foremost um but you know i i, I do kind of i try and branch out as much as i can i try and not get sort of stuck in a rut in terms of genres like i love um young fathers as well they're sort of that sort of like a a hip hop band from mm. that originate from Edinburgh um and they do mental arrangements you know just stuff you just like that should not work but it's um it's people like that that just have something a bit different to and yeah. um, that I sort of I gravitate towards
0: yeah no that's such a good thing and I think like what you were saying about being wary of taking too much because I remember when I was in like a rock band when I was younger mm. I could literally I'd go to band practice and be like I've written this and they could yeah. name what Metallica album I'd been listening to that week for me to do it. And I'd be like brilliant. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck. And he was like, Yeah, you've just listened to Justice all week, haven't you? I'm like, God damn it. And I, like from then, whenever I was trying to get into like the songwriting mindset, I'd like I straight up refused to listen to anything that was in the genre I yeah. was working in. But then I think that kind of gave me a better like songwriting standpoint because like obviously I'm doing loads of acoustic stuff now so if I'm trying to get in that mindset I won't touch anything that's got like an acoustic guitar and it's a load of like Public yeah. Enemy or a call or a Loki and it's those hip hop things but the language they use and I always I'm always kind of jealous of hip hop and rap because they can fit in a lot more like not just words in terms of how mm-hmm. like fast they're rapping or anything but they have just like a wider variety of languages that they can use because totally they agree. aren't necessarily inhibited by like keeping it's like a chord pattern or a song structure and towns and Prime kind of had that free form way that was almost walt whitman-esque in what they did but they were still bound to and i always enjoy that hip-hop thing but are there any kind of like modern songwriters you've been listening to or anyone new that's kind of coming through that's
1: yeah i mean Yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a few. I, as I say, I try and I try and listen to as much new music as I can because I know my my go-to is stuff from the eighties and the nineties sort of mm. thing. So, um, I I try and branch out. I think, um, well, he's not exactly new. Alexi Murdoch is mm. is one that I really have listened to a lot to over the past year or so. So he's a sort of um, folk singer songwriter. Um, a guy called Rory Butler, as well, is is a more... um, Again, he's quite folky, but um, he's doing a few sort of interesting things right now. He's just got a new album out as well. So um, I do... I think in terms of new acts, I still gravitate towards acoustic, you Mm. know? Um, But I'm trying to think of um, sort of mainstream examples that I've, I've really got into. Um... there
0: should be some if you Give want to probably... go deep cuts or like <laughs> lesser known like new folks like hug them because i'm always trying to find like yeah new people to listen to but what's kind of been not only your perspective on like the uk scene for like country and folk and americana but what's kind of been your viewpoint of americana in general obviously there's contention over like its name and what it kind of encapsulates because it's still country and folk and stuff. But you've kind of been around since like 2014. You've seen the kind of Americana, not just like boom, but like solidify as its own thing. What's kind of been your experience with that?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's uh, it's been... First things first, it's been brilliant to witness because I think there's there's such a huge appetite for Americana music over here. And it it just needed... It just needed a, a base and then a bit mm. of a boost in terms of profile. Um, and I think it's had that over the past few years, as you say. So it's been brilliant to see, but I think um, I, I think it, it's interesting for me at sort of local level. So if you go out to see like an, an open mic night and you're, you're on the folk circuit now, um, I think you'll, you'll hear a lot more American music being played than you would have before. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether that's originals or covers, whether it's people, you know, covering Jason Isbell or, or guys like that, it's it just seems to be happening and more accessible at a grassroots level. Mm. Uh, more people are listening to it, more people are aware of it. Um, so you've got, you know, you've got your big events, like the, the AMA UK awards every year, stuff like that, um, but I think for me, it's just been interesting to see how it's affected local local nights mm. and local um, uh, attitudes towards Americana music.
0: Oh, cool. And like, I don't know, I always find, not Americana as a weird thing, but it is it is like that big catchall where it's like the same thing as, you know, when someone's a singer-songwriter. And I'm mm. like, well, RZA is a singer-songwriter because he writes songs and he sings. So it's like, it's what kind of that balance is. But with the UK scene, have you found, compared to the American scene, like a struggle and stuff? Because I'm trying to find, you know, the positives for Brexit and stuff where we can't mm-hmm. go to Europe as easy and stuff. With the UK scene, have you found like strengths that are like in and of itself, like an independent thing that's not necessarily relying on the States?
1: Oh, so you mean sort of like, yeah, like a self-contained yeah. sort, sort of thing. Um Yes, I know because I think I think there's such a strong community feel in the Americana uh, sort of um, genre over here, uh, and therefore I think there are, you know, there, there there there's an audience that will pay out their money regularly to come and see shows uh, and buy new music, mm. but at the same time, you're right, it's not it's not a big place, the UK isn't a big place in terms of touring and I think in terms of finding sustainability as an artist, um, if you can't, if you haven't got Europe as an option Mm. um, and you know it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to get a visa for the states, it's it's difficult just in terms of you know size over here, you've not got as many options for venues um, and unfortunately, you know the really sort of negative side of me thinks. Well, maybe the venues are going to be even less after the pandemic, you know. So um, I think I, I think the appetite is strong. I think the community is strong. Um, I think there's a lot of momentum for America and in the UK right now. Um, but you're right. I think it will. The test will be um, in the next few years when we see you know how people deal with the constraints on, on touring yeah
0: i think the sustainability thing is like the nail on the head that's what i've been kind of thinking about because it's like you can do a three week tour but then it's like how long can you leave it then all the people are just gonna get sick of you because i remember yeah. like i could set my watch to motorheads winter tour but they'd yeah. only ever tour once a year and it's like if they could only ever tour the uk though how many times would they actually go on to tour? and it's like yeah. one of those things where i think i'm hoping that people rise to the challenge and more grassroots venues can kind of take a stand and pubs may even start trying to take more of a chance on original music and not yeah. just like cover acts and stuff but with kind of you've had obviously you recorded in brooklyn you've got that kind of american kind of connection did you ever think about moving over there and setting up for your career there
1: um honestly no just no in terms no it's it's i i mean i've the the thought of it has 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 occurred to me a few times but the actual um you know i guess anything beyond that has has never really come to fruition just because i i love living here i love Mm. being in scotland and you know my my family's here my friends are here and the things that that just keep me happy are here Mm. um and i just think if i were to you know take my roots and, and, and move to somewhere like America, which is different, you know, it's a very different country. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd struggle. And I think if I were if I were doing that purely on the basis of career, um, I, I don't think there's enough motive for me to do that mm-hmm. at the minute anyway. I, I, I just, as I say, I, I think I, I love living here too much. And I think... Um, there are there are definite advantages to being in, in in the states for what i do um but at the same time it's uh it's, it's kind of like it's a virtual world now you know you can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's there, there are opportunities you can access by being elsewhere so um yeah that's that's kind of where i am with it at the minute anyway <laughs> you
0: no know, it makes sense because i wanted to talk about you september tapes you recorded in nashville and it is You know, there is that kind of mindset where if you want to be a musician in the UK, you have to move to London. If you want to be a musician in the world, you have to move to America where it's like either you go to Nashville or New York or LA. But you've kind of obviously you've stayed true to your roots and stuff. But what was your experiences like recording in Nashville? And have you really like, have you toured America much or is it just you've gone to like Nashville? And well,
1: I, I mean, my, my, my gigging experience of America is very, very small as it stands. Mm. It's, I've never done a full tour over there. And in terms of where I've actually played as well, it's just been, you know, I've done a couple of shows in New York. I've done a show mm. in Nashville. Um, and I, I think that's it. I, mm. You know, it's been very, very limited. Um, but in terms of being over there and recording over there, absolutely brilliant, because you're just, you know, you're surrounded by like-minded people that totally get what you do, that are enthusiastic about what you do, um, they really know their stuff, particularly in Nashville, they really know their stuff as well, they know all the best musicians, um, and, you know, I, I found it I found it a brilliant experience recording over there, and I I don't know how it would differ if I were, you know, my, my latest EP I've just recorded at home, I didn't go to a studio to do that, mm-hmm. so... I don't know how it would differ if I were to record over here. Mm. Um, but America, and particularly Nashville, Brooklyn, you know, creative places. Uh, yeah, great place to go and record and just do
0: some do some stuff. Mm. And with the recording that you're doing from home, what's kind of your setup for recording?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a very, very simple setup. I basically have um, like a, a focus right um a scarlet like two I uh, two um, focus right that I record through and I just do it through Garage Band so that's mm. the sort of um, the interface I use. So um it's I kinda I reached out to a couple of guys in the sort of the more techy side of music um when I wanted to do the E P and I said, Look I just I want something for an acoustic setup. It's not gonna be anything extravagant So um it's it's very simple. It's you know, it's the one vocal mic and I, you know the guitar goes through a di so um and i just do it in the in the back bedroom it's just the quietest room of the house so (laughs) you know it's it's been really lovely actually recording at home um but yeah entirely different to to be in the studio
0: yeah did you have like a different mindset going in because i'm looking at like i've got the album that i did in a studio and stuff and i'm looking at what i can do in terms of new music did you have any trepidation about obviously like this is you know recorded in Brooklyn it's this and then it's like this is the home recording and it's got that was is Tensmore Sky from that home recording session? Here? It is yeah. Brilliant and yeah. did you like mix it yourself and stuff?
1: Yeah well no I mean I I basically for Tensmore Sky I did all the uh, the harmonies and the you know the guitar overdubs. so all the instrumentation stuff is, is done by me but then I got um, Dave Aringa to mix and and master the whole thing, um, and he's done he's done a ton of stuff with like the Manic Street Preachers, mm. and he's you know really you know good guy to work with. Mm. So, um, it, because I knew I just I that that's out of my comfort zone. I can't do that sort of thing. Um, so it's you know I knew it was if I was going to release it properly, it's best to get it sounding as as good as it can be. And, you know, Dave sort of did that, um, but. Yeah, in terms of just what I did, it was just the the musical um, side of it. Not
0: oh, often awesome, because it does it sounds so great, and it's that's kind of the accessibility thing where you were saying you don't have to be in certain places. Like with the power of the internet yeah. and stuff, you can do that, and it's really cool to see that setup work so well. But yeah. like with that EP, did you have anything in mind when you were going into it to be like, I'm gonna record this certain amount of songs, or I I just want to do this kind of collective? Was there anything for that record that you kind of went in wanting yeah. to do?
1: Well, it was, it was a fairly loose idea. I, I knew I wanted it to be three, three or four songs. It's turned out being four. Um, and I knew I wanted it to be quite a, a folky record. And I also knew I wanted to capture that it was recorded at home in the middle of a mm. pandemic. You know, I, I, I was just like, well, it's, <laughs> this is such a unique time. Um and it's it was the first time I'd had any re- experience of recording on my own. Um so that they were sort of the that's the sort of bedrock of, of, of where I was working from, um was just um capture the time, capture the the mood, the mood of the world right now. Mm. Um and yeah, don't don't try and hide the fact that it was recorded at home because I think actually it's it adds to it. Mm. I really do.
0: That's i think that's an interesting thing because it's you like especially as a songwriter you want to show those like cracks yeah and you want to show that kind of not necessarily diy because that's kind of like another kind of ethos or side thing but with a songwriter you want to show like the honesty of things and i think that really captures it but is that coming out in april that EP.
1: Yeah, so that's, I mean, the plan is April right now, it, we might push it back to May just in terms of, because we want to do a run of vinyl for it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so, I mean, the vinyl has been badly hit by the by the lockdown as well, so just in terms of getting that together, we're hoping for April, but it, it might be May, um, but we're just releasing the songs single by single, so I'm releasing mm-hmm. one a month, uh, and then uh, the last song will come out in tandem with, with the, the full EP. Um, so that's the plan at the minute, but it's not, you know, I, it's a different experience to the build-up to releasing the album. Um, you just sort of like it's, it's more pressure for one thing, because you're just like, this is this is all me, and it's it's a much more intimate mm-hmm. piece of uh, body of work than, than the album was, um, and you just kind of go I I hope other people can't hear it, but I can, you know. There's little there's little idiosyncrasies on so- a couple of the songs. Uh, where I go, God, I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd, you know, done that differently. And it's, but again, it's part of the beauty of it. There's not, there's not one single one of those four songs I would class as a perfect recording. I think they're all, you know, they've they all got little things where it's you can you can hear um, the sort of personal, natural nature of it. Um, but I, I love that. I, that's kind of I'm glad I'm glad I've kept that
0: yeah no that's the best thing i'm with obviously it was vocals and di did you perform at the same time like and record it all or did you do the guitar track and the vocals separately
1: yeah i I did it separately which was again that was a new thing for me because i'm i'm so used to just doing the two together um but at the same time it did it it sort of clarified um how i wanted it to sound individually Mm. you know you can really kind of focus on Uh, the vocal you can focus on the guitar when they're done separately so um, as much as it made me hate my guitar playing (laughs) you can kind of um, you can find benefits to do it that way for sure
0: and what guitar like is your main one like what's your go-to for
1: well I use uh, a tanglewood most of the time so it's a tanglewood just with the with the di Um, but I you know there's a I have like a little a small sort of travel size guitar as well that I, I like to use but in terms of um recording for the EP it was a, a Sigma so it was a Sigma just with the DI in it um oh. so and I just sort of I, I like the sound of that it's quite a it's quite a folky sounding guitar mm. you know you've got the deep sort of rich um bass notes um and the lovely the lovely sort of lilt to the to the other strings so um yeah that's that
0: was my my go-to guitar for recording oh cool And like what was your first guitar because i wanted to kind of touch on obviously your musical background with your dad and stuff like coming from that perspective because i remember like i've been thinking about this like i remember i had to fight tooth and nail to get my first guitar when i was a kid because they were just like hey you won't bother with it and i was like no i really want it what was it like yeah yeah. what was it like (laughs) to kind of be in a background was it encouraged to like have that musical like inclination or
1: yeah, it it was. I mean, in terms of access to guitar, my dad, my dad doesn't play. He he always said it, it hurt his fingers, so he he actually to So he writes on the piano. Yeah. Um. So it was actually my mum's guitar that she'd been given by her dad. That that was the first guitar um I played. Um. So it was one that had you know been in the house for a number of years, um, and then in after that, I think it was it was a pretty big guitar, especially for a sort of eleven year old. Um, I moved on to one of the the classical sort of island stringed ones. You, I think you mm. used to get in IKEA. I yeah. don't know if they do them anymore, but I, I moved on to that. And that that was my sort of my first um, my first sort of experience with with guitars.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've the, the first one I've still got it. it's a, like an August, like twenty yeah. quid classical. Nylon guitar with like the necks where it's like that thick. Brilliant, um, yeah. And that's why I, I think I can reach to like the seventh fret with one hand because I just have yeah. to learn how to use this huge fucking neck on like this little guitar.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. I don't, but, you know, there's it, there's a lot of appeal to guitars like that because you're kind of like, well, it's this is what I learned on, you know, and yeah. this is what helped me fall in love with the instrument. So, you know, it's um, as much as I probably wouldn't play it at a gig now. I still have a lot of fondness for them. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's the thing. Whenever I've took my guitars to the shop to get like, cleaned and restrung and, you know, had a work over, I always fall back to just that little. Because it's still yeah. the same strings I've had since I was, like, 12. Oh, God. I've got all the sticks and stuff. Like, I've never changed anything about it. I'm still waiting for one of the strings to snap.
1: But yeah. it just hasn't. This is it. I actually think they're pretty well made, those guitars. <laughs> you <laughs> know, they're pretty robust.
0: Yeah. If the apocalypse hits, it's cockroaches and Argos guitars. Yeah. <laughs> so is the tanglewood what you tour with and stuff as well do you have like a backup guitar or is that just the one you use
1: yeah i just i take the tanglewood with me on tour um it's i i mean i usually just i go on the road by myself and i Mm. don't really you know i'll have maybe my manager might join me for a couple of shows down south um but a lot of the time i just you know it's me getting a guitar and a suitcase on the train on my wood so i'm just gonna like I, I just stick to one guitar mm. um and the Tanglewood has served me really well it's again it's very robust um it pl- comes out really well through a di so um yeah that's the one i've used for a, a few years now
0: oh awesome and you know we're wrapping up i don't want to keep you too long so you've got the ep coming out in april what else are you on? are you working on a full album on top of that or
1: yeah, and I mean I've got I've got all the songs ready for the next album, and I think it's just a case of uh, trying to get the logistics organised now in terms of when can we record for one thing, um, and where is it going to be? Mm. So you know I've I've had discussions with Teddy again, and and we're, I mean at this point we're we're kind of moving towards recording it at home again, and just getting you know musicians wherever they are in the world to add their Mm. overdubs remotely um i I think you know if one thing it's gonna it's gonna keep costs down it's not cheap getting in a studio for a week so um that's kind of where we are at the minute and it gives us that flexibility you know i'd love to i'd love to record this next album over the summer and get it out towards the end of the year so um that's the plan at, at the minute
0: awesome i'm with you've got the tour in january february i think i saw was there a manchester date for that
1: there should be yeah i I can't remember which venue it is i think i saw band on the wall band on the wall that would be the one yeah yeah Yeah. so there will be there's definitely a manchester date in that tour with with teddy and i love that venue that's so good (laughs)
0: i've seen um, him Lyra linda that's the only time i've been to that venue but i you know i'm going to be there in february to see you in a Teddy, but wait. In terms of a solo tour and stuff, have you come down Manchester or Liverpool way much?
1: No, I haven't, and that's you know, I've, I've I can count on one one hand the times I've played those cities, and it's mm. it's depressing because you you know the times I have played, the audience has been great, um, and obviously they're, they're music cities, you know. There's there's a big sort of there's student a big sort of student uh, base there as well, and that I find that always adds to the gig. So mm. um, yeah, something I'd like to do more definitely.
0: cool and like just before I let you go with the second album do you have an approach that's like different or a mindset that's different from trials like are you going in with anything like set, like how you want to kind of like what you want to convey across to people or what the message of the record will kind of be in an overarching sense?
1: yeah it's I'd, I'd say I'm, I'm a little less green around the ears this time and in, in terms of you know I, I have a better idea of what I want mm. um, I'm not as I'm not as uh, averse to making it more of an acoustic album this time. Um the the first album I thought, no, it's if I'm recording I'm gonna, you know, everything kicks and sync at it sort of thing. But um yeah, I'd I'd say I would like to um keep it fairly simple this time. I think mm. I think that'll be the main thing, especially if we're doing it at home. So it'll probably be quite different to the debut but i think uh, it'll it'll have a lot of familiar elements to it yeah. if that makes sense
0: oh awesome well i can't wait to hear it but um yeah thanks so much for um, joining me no today way. i don't want to take up too much of your day and stuff yeah no i really worries. appreciate you making the time and i'll be seeing you in manchester before, yeah uh, lovely and that is episode 29 of into the van into the bag thank you so much to roseanne for sitting down and chatting to me please go check out our ep horticulture go check out our album trails you will not be disappointed in the quality of the songwriting of the songs themselves of the talent and make sure you catch Roseanne when you can when she's on tour in your area until next time folks keep on supporting the things you love keep on listening to the podcast please review into the van please let friends know that you're enjoying this podcast because without word of mouth and without your support i'm just talking to the void and without you What's the point? Peace.